Rivetti, what's up? I'm sorry, sir. It's just a difference of opinion that got out of hand. What about? It's really too silly to talk about, sir. I'd rather just forget about... I don't give a damn about what you'd rather forget about. Why were you two fighting? Well, I said that the Kirby Silver Surfer was the only real Silver Surfer. And that the Mobius Silver Surfer was shit. And Benefield's a big Mobius fan. And things got out of hand. I pushed him, he pushed me. I lost my head, sir. I'm sorry. Rivetti, you're a supervisor. You can get a commission like that. I know it, sir. You're 100% right. It's never happened again, It right? better not happen again. I see this kind of nonsense, I'm gonna write you up. You understand? Do you understand? Yes, sir. You have to set an example, even in the face of stupidity. Now, everybody that reads comic books knows that Kirby Silver Surfer is the only true Silver Surfer. Now, am I right or wrong? <laughs> You're right, sir. All right. Get out of here. Yes, sir. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Okay, folks, listen, it's a holiday. You know that by now. This is Easter, so happy Easter for those who believe in the theory. Nevertheless, the show must still go on. I'm your host, D-Bert, a.k.a. the Afro Nerd, and I have my partner in White Collar Crime in attendance as well, Captain Kirk. I think that our, our other crew members may be popping in. Uh, we have, of course, Claire Lene, Left Coast correspondent. Uh, she's inter- she is of an intermittent status because of her workload. She may or may not be calling in. And, of course, we have Daryl, who also has time constraint issues as well. So either way, the Afronert machine is still well-oiled and prepared to go forward. The call-in number, you know it by now, 646-915-9620. Again, 646 646- 915-9620. Not quite a two-and-a-half-hour show. We're gonna, we knocked off 30 minutes. So we're going to give you a break, <laughs> in theory. But again, feel free to call in if you'd like to join in on our discourse. The questions, the protestations, the queries, the, dis- the disagreements, all that is all good, not a problem. New music. I'm going to give it to you. This is an artist by the name of Nathan. 
And I, I had to actually search out how to pronounce this gentleman's name because, you know, so, you know, hey, I can't tell someone how to promote themselves, but the way it's spelled, it's N, the number eight, N. So that's Nathan, but, you know, sometimes you can be a little too cute for yourself, I think. I'm just saying, you can get in your own way. Nevertheless, nevertheless this is the jam, and I will probably revisit this cut when we do our forthcoming all-music show. Anyway, this is Nathan, remember it's spelled N, the number eight, N, <laughs> giving it up. We'll be right back. Let's groove. I'm not good with reason. I'm no good with cash. I'm good at speeding. I like moving fast. So when are we leaving? I'm not scared to ask. Cause you ain't got no reason. Kind of sort of the cousin, the the Atlantean 
cousin of the Brooklyn, the infamous Brooklyn, Jocelyn Cooper's own Afropunk. We have now Punk Black, and I just actually picked up a T-shirt. So you have these independent black indie movements going on. Um, And actually, it was cool to see that I found out about Punk Black via Afropunk. So she shouted them out. Even though it's kind of kind of a competitor, but it's more local than the global juggernaut that is Afropunk. So anyway, I'm kind of sort of digging punk black, but punk black is, you know, for really more more punk intense. Anyway, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's get into the show. You needed, hmm, uh, on terra firma. Let's make it simple. Let's get to it, sir. Taken out the garbage. I wanted to question them. We have the answers we need. I guess that means I have questions for you. Goodbye, Captain America. We need to talk. Maybe you just lop off the head of every newcomer who hits town. If we did that, you wouldn't have yours. But those Nazis were here for a reason. Yes, to steal our vibranium, the mineral that can only be found here in Wakanda. Hitler needs it for the next generation of their missile systems, as do you. These are dangerous times. You need to choose a side. We have our own. We take our borders very seriously. And you have crossed up. I was just rubbing it in, people. That's all. Just rubbing it in. <laughs> okay, I was trying to figure out what was going on there. <laughs> you beamed into Wakanda accidentally, I see. Yep, there you go. <laughs> you know, I might have to actually use that next time I'll say, Captain, you know, I'm going to beam you into the Wakandan. Uh, palace or T'Challa's house or something like that. I got to start updating some of the references. Anyway, people, again, this is the Grindhouse, a special Easter Grindhouse. The call in number, you, you're more than welcome to join in on the fun. 646 915 9620. Again, 646 915 9620. All right, let, let's get into a little bit of, um, of some redder, redder, Jesus, ready. Falls out of my mouth. Ready player one. Steven Spielberg is back at it again. Uh, a directing legend. You can't take anything away from him and his success. And it appears that he has, you know, he's, he's listen, no one is going, to, is going to hit a home run for 40 damn years. <laughs> he essentially has done that, but there's been some last 15 years, there's been some spotty stuff going on with Spielberg. Nevertheless, it appears that he's come back true to form with this Ready Player One based on a book, uh, the titular self-named Ready Player One from a few years ago. And uh, it's a gamer's story. I, one could say it's probably one of, the, one of the more successful, I guess, gamer-themed properties 
uh, as of late. Because sometimes, I mean, this wasn't a direct gamer. It was it was more about gaming culture uh, infused with 80s pop culture. But we've seen in the past that, you know, when they try to do actual video games, translating them into a movie, it really don't do that well. Maybe uh, Tomb Raider might be an exception. Even this latest iteration, I think, is mildly successful. It wasn't as successful as the, as the Angelina Jolie um, franchise from, from a decade ago or a decade and a half ago. Anyway, so I, I checked out Ready Player One Friday morning, and I must confess that I actually enjoyed it. I, I actually enjoyed it as a solid film, even though it was very tropey. I saw the tropes, but as far as what Spielberg does when he brings brings the when he brings his technological savvy, I mean that's one thing. Whether it's Lucas or Spielberg, these two, when it comes down to the visuals on this film, we take things we take things for granted. We take things because you know we're in a, we're in a Marvel universe, sometimes a DC universe, but I'm going to say more Marvel. <laughs> Uh, we take these things for granted as to how, what, how, some, how something is, is shown on screen. We think it's an easy effort. And you, you, you must realize it costs millions of dollars to put some of this CGI stuff in a, in, into full effect. And when you actually see the final product, you take it for granted. There was one scene, and I'm going to be somewhat vague because I don't want to get you know, too into spoiler territory. But there was one scene that heavily referenced uh, The Shining, you know, the, the Jack Nicholson movie from the 80s. And I think, what, late, late when, did, when did that come out? Was it 79, 80, 81, something like that? Anyway, the way they were able to infuse The Shining into this film, and mind you, you have to remember that they're using avatars. That's another thing, too. The movie, you know, you have live action, the live action actors, and then you have the voice work and the animation and their respective avatars, and their avatars are interacting in a shining situation. I'll leave it at that. You can easily take that for granted. But when I actually saw that on screen, I was like, whoa. So, look. Some of what's going on also, the, the critique of it, some of the, some of the folks that are, uh, were born after the 80s, the, you know, the, the millennials, they're not digging it so much. It is a bit of a controversy. There is a bit of a disconnect, although the pop culture references are more all-encompassing. In other words, it's, it's heavily, heavily 80s, 80s referenced. I'd say maybe more than 50%. But then it goes into the 90s and also goes into the early aughts. But it, yes, it's very much an 80s nostalgia film. But the way they were able to have all these characters bouncing around, um, you know, for those who, who've read the book and kind of know the gist of the, of the theme, it's essentially a virtual reality world. And the culture is, is 2045. It's, it's a dystopic, dystopic culture, a dystopic movie. And you're dealing with folks that are in dire straits, I should say, a segment of the population. They're in dire straits living in a trailer park slash project 
you saw the commercials. I mean, it's 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 a kind of I've never seen a, a, a trailer park that looks this way, but it's a trailer park that's definitely a project, a high rise trailer park, and uh, they, those folks are living, you know, they're working class, some of them are impoverished, and in order for them to escape the drudgery of their lives, they go into this virtual reality world. You have a Mark Zuckerberg-esque or a Bill Gates-esque overlord. Um, well, I should say overlords. You know, you could you could actually uh, channel a number of of um, titans in PC in in, P, in the PC industry. So you had you know those who, who you perceive to be good, those you would perceive to be bad. And again, I'm speaking kind of. Not so specifically because I don't want to spoil or anything, but you do have the you know the the the, the main hero who um, it, it, he he's he's essentially trying to win a prize and it, it's very much again talking about references. It's almost a direct connect to Willy Wonka. So there's a Willy Wonka aspect to this thing as well. I enjoyed it. I have more to say about it than saw this. I see that our friend from Philly is also uh, on the line, so maybe he saw this thing. I know he he will understand the '80s references. I caught I caught quite a few, and I missed a few. There was some of them that was so fast and so fleeting. Um, as a princeologist, I caught a couple, so I was I was happy to see that. Uh, anyway, let me let me bring Q Storm in. I'm curious as to what he may think. He might not like this thing. Um, I liked it, but Can I, I have... say a few things first. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. Um, you know, if you remember the USS Callister with Black Mirror, you know, you see you're, you're starting to get this type of thing where it's actually like the, a matrix within a matrix. That's actually what it would be called from a scientific standpoint, where you leave one matrix, because allegedly, theoretically, potentially, some scientists believe that we do live in a matrix. So you're going into one matrix, into another matrix, so that makes it very interesting. Also, too, they're saying that it uh, it took down 180 million open the weekend, which is which is good. You know, big numbers in China, but you have to be careful with China because next week you could drop like a brick <laughs> if you relied on China, or hey, they could, the numbers could be very good. They end up doing 200 million over there in our China, but you know. <clears throat> It seems like, from what people are saying, that the movie is actually a good movie. This is uh, pretty much Afro Nerd has said. You know, but here's the one thing, though. You know what some people say? You know, where's the black people? Now, I didn't see the movie, but it was, here's, here's what I say about that. Black man, black man, black man. You're not going to be able to play in all the white man's games. Some things is going to have to be white. For most part, some things are going to have to be black. For most part, some things are going to have to be Asian. For most part, some things are going to have to be Latin. And then from time to time, we can mix it up. But you're not going to be able to play all the time in the white man's game. Back to you, Apple. Let's bring in Q Storm. All right, Mr. Storm. Happy Easter. What's up? Uh, same, to, same to you. As an agnostic, fellow agnostic. Uh... As far as that goes, same to you. <laughs> oh yeah, we're, we're just um, placating. To, we're placating to the cheat seats. But go, go ahead, sir. <laughs> yeah. 
So I saw this uh, yesterday. <clears throat> I saw it at 4 o'clock on a Saturday. And the first thing that struck me was that it was me, my son, and my little brother from the Little Brother program. Mm-hmm. We were three out of maybe ten people in the audience. And I was like, whoa. And I remember when I went to Fandango to get the tickets, I was like, they're going to kill me because I'm trying to get the tickets on the same day. No way. It's an empty theater? <laughs> So that struck me first off. <clears throat> now, in regards to the film itself, no doubt this is a visual feast, an orgasm of visual CGI. It's amazing. Tons of references. Even there were some scores that were referenced from other movies. I caught the Back to the Future score. I think I heard a Jurassic Park score. There was another score I heard, but you know, tons of references. I, I, I really appreciated the and I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but the, the Excalibur reference with the charm mm-hmm. of making, mm-hmm. love that. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Um, I didn't care about any of the characters. I didn't care one whit about any of the characters. And the reason why, and they give us, a, and this is when you know you're in trouble. They give us like a two-minute, two to five-minute voiceover of exposition that is supposed to explain everything that leads up to the first scene. And so the first scene takes us into the stacks. But I don't have any, I, there was nothing visual that showed me that these were anything more than just regular poor white folk. You know, <laughs> the, guy, the guy slides down the pole, everyone's having a great time in the o- oasis. So I don't really feel any empathy for these people. Now, if you compare that to Elysium, or you compare it to Blade Runner, or what was the other film that I referenced uh, uh, trying to compare this to? There's another film where right off the bat, you could, oh, uh, uh, um, oh, I just lost it. But you could tell right off the bat that these people were really living in squalor, and they were living day to day. Their lives can end well, in, the a, Matrix? in a day. The Matrix? It wasn't, it wasn't The Matrix. There was another I can't think of the film. Damn, it's going to drive me crazy. But I didn't get that sense. With the, the, I didn't feel bad for any of those people. They seemed like they were having a good time. <laughs> uh, they, you know, they, they, the stacks were the stacks, but, you know, I see that driving down the street no more than 10 miles from my house. I live in the middle-class neighborhood. <laughs> you know, I didn't get a sense. So I didn't get – so that was lost on me. I didn't, I didn't really see what they were fighting for. I mean, I know they were fighting for – to get out of their, their squalor. But I, I didn't really, I didn't feel any empathy for that. I think that was a failure. And I didn't care for any of the characters. And to me, I need more from a film just to sit there and say, oh, I recognize that. Oh, I recognize that. I recognize that. If I don't care about the characters, it doesn't matter to me all of the stuff you're throwing at me that are references from my childhood. And that's another thing. Steven Spielberg, I can honestly say, even as a black child growing up in the 80s, Steven Spielberg was a is a hero of mine. I, I wanted to get into filmmaking because of him, Spike Lee, and uh, uh, Lucas, oh, the guy who directed Oliver, what, the guy who directed um, Wall Street. I can't think of his name. Oh, uh, I, I, I know you're talking about. Um... Uh, show me some of that Jen thing. I know. Um, I know you're talking about those. Um, those three guys, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like 
in the last 15 years or so, when when Steven Spielberg tries to do these action adventure movies, Oliver Stone, by the that way, that kind of hint, that kind of hint back to his 80s work, he's lost his ability to interweave humanity into these stories is spotty at best. Spot, and this goes back to the original Jurassic Park, which was a great film. But the, the little kids and John Hammond and Ian Malcolm, they were all really just chess pieces for the CGI. I mean, it was, it was a good film, but dating back to the, his, his ability to weave humanity into his films is really spotty. I just didn't get a sense that anyone was fighting for anything of jeopardy other than who's going to get the golden ticket, to go back to your Willy Wonka reference. I didn't get the sense. that When I read the synopsis on Wikipedia, I understood that, oh, this IOI corporation, I'm not going to spoil anything. They really are like, you know, Amazon taking over the world. Then it became, when I got that sense after reading it in the description of the novel, it became a lot more dystopic for me. But in the movie, I did not get that sense at all. I, did, I really didn't. The one scene that really got me was the first race scene, which, right. which is what most of the trailer was comprised of, unfortunately. That scene had me on the edge of my seat, but after that, I mean, I could sit down and watch a 20-minute demo reel from any graphics company, and I feel like I would walk away with the same satisfaction that I got from watching this film. And I'm sorry to say that, but it, it just wasn't, I don't know, it didn't do it for me. Well, let me say a couple of things. Uh, I, I want to also channel what the captain was talking about when he went into some of the critique with some folk, uh, Dr. Jason Johnson specifically who was a fellow blurred, I believe he teaches school, uh, one of the black colleges, one of the HBCUs. Um, and he's also a, con- a contributor, I think, at MSNBC. And also he's kind of a colleague contributor with, Jesus, uh, um, uh, why am I, I'm, even I need my ginseng. Karen Hunter, Karen Hunter on Sirius XM, on her show. And he went in, and, and I, you know, listen, I don't want to use the term clickbait with him necessarily, although maybe he's not, a, maybe he's not beneath that or above that. But he, he, he also is a contributor on, at The Root. And you know how, how, what I feel about The Root. Um, he, he brought up this whole notion that Captain was talking about with, uh, well, there's no black people, and you, you are negating black pop culture, which was, which was very big. In the 80s, one can make the argument that black folks arrived in a real big media, in a real big media way, via the 80s. If you really want to, if, and, I, and actually, I'm just thinking of it now, that the 80s really was the was the entrance point for a lot of black pop culture to be seen on a global level. You know, whether it's uh, the Cosby universe, uh, the Eddie Murphy universe, Prince and Michael Jackson universe. Uh, hip-hop was coming on strong. I mean, you're talking about a, a large swath of American pop culture is black pop culture. So, seriously missing somewhat from Re- Ready Player One. So, I mean, J- Jason can make that argument, but I, gu- I guess I'm at the point now where I, I don't want to keep on expecting people to do the right thing necessarily or to, or to look for your look for your culture or look out for your interests. They're not thinking that way. Now, what's, the irony is, is that we see the kind of money, and I, and I hate to keep on bringing this back up, but it, Black Panther is going to be – we're going to be talking about Black Panther for quite some time 
because we are still discovering nuggets from this film. And it, it's, it's on them to, to – I'm talking about them, the, the corporate structure to, to, continual, to, to continuously negate this stuff. If they want to keep on going down this road of, of exorcising blackness and, and contributions – I mean, even somebody mentioned Menudo, uh, a Puerto Rican uh, group, musical act that was big in the 80s also. Um, if you want to keep on doing these things, you know, Latin pop and, 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 and all these, you know, all these, uh, the pop culture, artistic works of people of color, if you would choose to kind of leave them out of the, out of the game in this new world order, that's going to be on you. You're going, you're going to suffer. That's, that's, that's kind of how I have to perceive it now. I can't just, you know, and then there's the argument that, that Catholic was talking about that maybe, you know, not everything's going to be a black thing. Some things are going to are going to be white culture intensive, um, but at, at the same time, I, I will I will say that as a black person looking at this stuff, after having seen um, Black Panther, you you start to realize that that uh, just because something is pop, is is a pop culture feast, and we can call we can call uh, Ready Player One a pop culture extravaganza. Just because that is the case doesn't mean it can't be a little deep. And that's what Black Panther has brought to the game. And I'm, and I'm seeing more and more articles that are, that are coming out with these different angles from the movie weeks later. Afropunk has an article right now. I'll put it in the chat room in a few moments. It has an article right now about, I think, a, a Brooklyn museum that people are looking at more closely for um, – Displaying African art, African culture, but having a white curator, and they're referencing Black Panther for bringing out that discussion. Now that was a scene that was pretty Killmonger and the white curator speaking like she knew something, and he one-upped her. Now that that's a scene that's not innocuous, and now you're having full-blown discussions about, well, hey, in real in real time. Maybe we need to reconsider how who's curating black culture and black art and black museum pieces. This is what's happening in the real world, but because of a movie, people are looking at that now. Uh, Ready Player One could have made a lot of could have really got into a lot of commentary about eighties block eighties uh, pop culture, but you know it's it's it's, it's not that deep. In some ways, it was just kind of people just showing you stuff. You're just there to kind of, and I, I, I have to admit, I got caught up in the nostalgia and looking at it. That deep. We're just happy to see the stuff. Um, you. But see, Debert, you're right in a certain way and wrong in another way, and I'm just going by you know observational facts. I think about some of the biggest movies of the '80s. A lot of them directed by Steven Spielberg. Think about well. He, Poltergeist, he didn't direct that, but his hand was all over it. Uh, E.T., uh, 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 the Indiana Jones trilogy, right? You didn't see black faces in those movies. And if you did, they were sidekicks at best. Yeah. Now, you bring up a good and point. And still are. Cosby, and still are. Cosby Show, Cosby Show was brought, brought, a lot of, brought black faces into a lot of white homes. Uh, you did see that, but I'm just saying – 
for what Eddie Murphy, you're correct. He did Beverly Hills Cop, but overall, when it came to the now that was a police comedy, uh, you know, a uh, uh, procedural comedy, whatever you want to call it. But when it came to the fant again, quote uh, hashtag Thanos. When it comes to the when it came to the fantasy aspect, action fantasy films, you didn't see us too tough. So that's one of the things that's going to go into my review. That in that sense, it was very much like an '80s movie. Yeah, but this is this is 2045 interpreting 80s, 80s stuff, and it wasn't just. Listen, you saw Duran Duran references. Um, you saw punk references. It was a complete pop culture discussion. It wasn't cherry picking pop culture. It was 80s pop culture, and and they could not, they could not completely, completely exercise blackness from. Uh, Ready Player One, but it was very faint. Like the scene where um, the main character goes into like the garage setting of of the black character, uh, his friend who in, who turns out. And this is how it was even in, even in the the book, the the, uh, the his friend, his best friend, who he thought because he never met this person until later on in the film, and even in the book, uh, this person was 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 a person of color. But he thought it was, he thought the person was a male, and even in the book, as you found out later on, she was a black lesbian. But when she went when she went when he went to her her garage setting, the first thing I noticed was I want to be your lover playing in the background. So Prince yep, was yep. Prince, Prince music. My ears were already sharp for that. So I was I was already like oh man I was I that's perfect for me. I mean I was I I caught that I caught that. I don't know if the, the the other if the other audience members caught Prince in the background, and also when he was trying to impress this this girl that ended up being his his um being his ally, he was changing outfits. He he changed into a Prince outfit, and then right away he changed into a Michael Jackson outfit. So those little subtleties, I caught. Now, some people were saying, well, there was no blackness. Well, listen, that's not really accurate to, your, to the degree you would want it to be emphasized. But they, it, was, it was passing references that you have to really be on your A game to pick up. But I was, as a, as a consummate Princeologist, I caught those two Prince references. But uh, let's not pretend that it was just video games. It was 80s white popular culture and black popular culture in the 80s was big. Eddie Murphy was bigger than just uh, 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop. He was probably the, the top dude of the 80s. Eddie Murphy was it was Eddie Murphy, Michael Jackson, Prince. I mean, it, that was that's, a, that's like half of even white popular 80s canon culture, if you're going to be honest. These were global titans. Lionel Richie, that whole crew. We can think of like a lot of people that were huge in the eighties. Turner, Tina Turner's resurgence came in the eighties. You know, uh, Mad Max. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they, you know, eighties eighties was pretty big. Q and, and a lot of black folks were, were the entry point for for black popular culture was really the eighties, even more so than the sixties or even the fifties. The eighties is where it really started. If you're going to be honest. I agree. I'm just saying the point I'm making is that you did not see, other than perhaps 
Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours. You did not see in the Steven Spielberg fair, you did not see much representation. And that, that, I, that struck me in this film. I wasn't seeing much representation in the film either, except for the black character. And honestly, I couldn't tell if that was a, a male or a female. Well, <laughs> that's, that's what's going to happen to you. <laughs> but I'm not supposed to say that. I have nothing, nothing against the actress, but they're going to let ambiguity be represent, represented, as it should be. Now, people are going to look at, listen to this and think I'm going to say, give some shade. I just don't know, and even, and even Captain Kirk's predecessor, we had this discussion yesterday, is that black, the, the black people are going to be the folks that usher in ambiguity. That's the part that I have a problem with. Like, why is it, why is it incumbent upon black people? Because it goes into the stacking argument I always have. That, you know, let the person be black and gay and handicapped and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> That's what, that's what I mean. It, that's what that's what happens. I mean, you know, it's, that's what happens. But Not that it, the representation isn't isn't deserving, but does it, but black folks and blackness should have its own lane. It shouldn't be um it, it shouldn't be lessened by stacking. That's really what my argument is. Phew. I hear you, and, and I, I want to say to the audience, I, my not being to tell, I put that on me. I don't put that on the actors. I I just couldn't tell. That was my ignorance. But there was, let me just ask, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there was one scene where they are driving and they pull over to, to pick up a passenger. I'm not going to say anything more than that. Mm-hmm. And the passenger just stares at the black character for a good, I don't know, five seconds. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the black character says, I know, not what you expected, right? And the character says, yeah, I wasn't expecting a, uh, a postal van or something like that. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, she's got a, 30 some, a 30-year-old postal wagon or something like that. Wasn't that a little weird? Was she lying about that? And she really was taken aback that there's a black person in our universe? I, I think it was misdirection. I think that instead of saying that I didn't expect you to be a woman or a lesbian woman, uh, because listen, everyone thought. First of all, her avatar was 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 coded male, even though it was a robot in some way, uh, all the way through. And she in the book, in the book, see, there's something else too. The book had some points that didn't was not covered, and again, it was kind of just glossed over. But the reason why that character took on a male coding as an avatar was because of a racial thing. Uh, in order to avoid being uh, harassed online, which happens in real time in, in this real time today, with people of color being harassed when you identif- when you are identifiably black or brown or Asian on, on online, um, that character took on that persona to avoid being harassed. So there's some stuff that you know kind of just gets gets thrown out when it comes down to, comes down to some of these movies. So even the book touched on some stuff that we didn't necessarily see, you know, uh, in the movie. I mean, you know, again, the movie, but again, if these folks, the movie makers want to get Black Panther money, which is, which is really what's being discussed now and, and, and begrudgingly by the corporates, they're going to have to give 
more depth to the pop culture stuff, and they're going to have to deconstruct what they consider to be the default equation. Always having white male and female love interests, believing, believing that that is going to be the, the, the only way to navigate towards a big box office take, that is slowly starting to, start, st- slowly starting to erode. Clearly, clearly. That's what, that is what's really what, what is up. I think if they had tweaked that movie with more of a commentary on some of the 80s stuff and had more agency for the people of color, maybe even not been so reliant on the black, I mean, on the white male-female dynamic, which we've seen countless times, this might have done, this might have done something. Maybe if it was more, more, of a, more of a Latin cultural orientation or a black cultural orientation, that's still global. This stuff is still global now. And, you know, this movie goes back a few years. I think the book came out in 2011. And, hey, I, I can't say if, if change is actually going to come. Change is, change is an infrastructural thing. But people are believing that the Black Panther and some of these other films coming out after Black Panther are going to change the perception of things. I don't I can't say that so clearly, but having looked at this film and it's gonna make it's going to make some money. It's gonna be successful. But, you know, for the kind of success that people really want to get, I think playing it old school is not the way anymore. It's just it's just not well, the way. Well Deber, I wanna ask you this question and you can keep this rhetorical because I know you're probably ready to move on to the next topic, but you're right. But you know what, you have to ask why are we, when I say we, I'm talking about our community, after the success of Black Panther, why are we still putting out Uncle Drew, Acrimony, <laughs> and this new movie with Gabrielle Union where she's a woman fighting for her household <laughs> yet again? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing you, that? You enjoy that Acrimony, didn't you? You saw that one too, right? Hell no. He didn't see that. He's not seeing that. <laughs> Is it Robin Thicke's ex-old lady also in some kind of movie like that, too? Uh, Traffic. Yeah, I think it's called Traffic. It, and it's, the, the, the themes we've seen, you know, I, based on what you, just, what you just said, we may have to be even more fair. Because we're locked into a robotic thing, too. We're locked into autopilot, too. Like, if, if we're complaining about Ready Player One that is still kind of following a certain kind of script, then we have to admit that maybe it's not so easy to get off of that train when the black films are still kind of going about it in a certain way. Those movies, we've seen this, you know, the, the Terrence, the old school Terrence Howard type stuff and, you know, uh, some dude is, 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 uh, is a hidden psycho. He's a secret psycho. And I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the, the black version of psycho, dare I say. We've seen countless times or Nick comedy movies like Girl Trip. You know, Tiffany Haddish and all that kind of stuff. She, she's, she has been uh, the new black comedic queen now. Can I, I say mean, something I, I, here? Yeah. Since you mentioned Acrimony, you know, it did, it did uh, they say, 17 million, but I think that's down some for Tyler Perry. You know, on weekends like this, the alternative movie, he would do like you know twenty eight, maybe thirty million in past. 
Maybe there's, there is a little, eh, I'm not dealing with him so much anymore. I don't know. With his well, Kier was, Kier was asking a legitimate question. And that's something that's been in my mind for quite some time now is I don't really want to get into complaining about what white people should be doing or white people should be looking out for black cultural interests. I mean, just, just saying right. that sounds a little stupid. It really does. Let white folks have their – I'm going to go into Michelle Rodriguez territory. Maybe white folks need to have their own heroes. Now, I know people came down on her, and I was like, you know, she's really actually correct. She's very correct. But for some reason, we were like, no, we're supposed to bogart on white people. I I don't know. I I don't know. It's confusing. (laughs) I mean, look, you can make – if you're going to talk about what white people should be doing with their film projects – if you're gonna go, if you're gonna attack it, you need to attack it from a different angle. You need to attack it from listen. Uh, the the minority audience is maybe half your audience. Maybe you may have to concede a little bit to that audience. Maybe you might want to put some brothers on the wall, as, as uh, Bugging Out was saying. <laughs> you know. Although when I saw that film at the time, I thought he was right. Years later, I said, well, it is an Italian restaurant. You know, you know, maybe you can. I don't know if you could. I mean, I'm not going to go into a Chinese restaurant and tell a, a person of Asian descent what how he should decorate his, his restaurant because he's feeding you his culture. Because if you have a black themed restaurant, you're not going to put, uh, you know, you're not going to put uh, Frank Sinatra on your wall. Although these nignogs will probably have Tony Montana on their wall, so maybe <laughs> I, I, gotta, I might, have, I might have to take that back. <laughs> You know what I mean? We, we, I don't know with, with this this new crew. I you, you can't say things as a definite, really. But uh, yeah, the question is, one quick thing. I'll let you speak. The question is, is that we we have enough pop culture references on our own to make our own type of Ready Player One without being Ready Player One. That that's where we have to really be after Black Panther. Is what what would a black Ready Player One look like, you know, where it's not exactly the thing. Uh, what is what is that that movie we, we spoke about it last week, Captain? Um, that might be something. Boots Riley's Boots Riley's movie that's coming up, something like that. I'll look it up in a minute. I think Tessa Thompson's in there. She's playing the female lead. That movie's being t- spoken about quite a bit. That that movie, I think. Can I help you? May I help you? Something like that. That that kind of movie is where we need to be. These quirky. You know, black weirdo movies. Those are the movies that we need to be really on top of. Uh, Q. I was just gonna say, you know, um, it just I just don't understand why. Now maybe those movies, maybe I'm not being fair. Acrimony and Uncle Drew and the other film with Gabrielle Union. I'm sure they were being produced way before Black Panther hit the theaters, right? So maybe I'm not being fair. But I'm just saying, moving forward, can we put a little bit? Can we? Can we, our black filmmakers, now start to open up our imaginations and see black people gaining superpowers, uh, struggling with superpowers? Like, I just finished watching Jessica Jones. I don't know why people are ragging on that, that this second season. I thought it was great. And it was the, pretty the good, char- too. Uh, the, char- the character playing Jess- Jessica's mother, I was just thinking, what would happen if a black woman uh, found herself with these superpowers that she couldn't control. I'm thinking they. You, I mean, if you, 
you, you have templates that you can kind of borrow from. They don't have to be Meteor Man, but you have templates that you can delve into putting black characters into fantasy situations. I need to see that. Okay. Well, now, well, now, Q, now, now I guess that's my cue. That's my cue to talk about Superfly. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Hey, oh, before, before you go, hey, on, before you go, go into that, it. before you go into that, I want to take a quick break. Uh, now I regret having a shorter show. But that, you know, I keep on mis, you know, uh, misjudging how we talk. Um, Sorry to Bother You is the film that's coming out oh, in a few yes. months. Yes, yes, yes. Now, that one I'm curious about. Boots Riley, again, the musician who's also on the Afropunk tip, who I believe follows us, and we've, we've kind of shouted out each other. Uh, like mine, the, the, the black weirdos, and I would, I would describe myself as that <laughs> in some way, uh, we're finding each other. So things are kind of getting around. People are sick of the nignoggery. You know, Superfly is referencing trap music. We're going to get into that, but it's, it's a tropey mess. So you're not going to have me see that. That's not going to happen. Sorry. Anyway, uh, sorry to bother you. That's forthcoming. Uh, that's with uh, Lakeith Stanfield. We know him from Atlanta. Um, and also Tessa Thompson, Patton Oswalt, Danny Glover. You know, see, even, even the veterans get a slice of new life when you put them in something like this. Now, Danny Glover has been kind of out of sorts for, for quite a few, few years as a maturing actor. But seeing him in this vehicle, he's goddamn interesting. And Glover's a beast as an actor. But I'm just saying, you know, you, you, you kind of have to have these, these different kind of films that you're just doing. I don't want to see Danny Glover in some, in some uh, black psycho movie. That would be beneath him. Anyway, Q, hold on. I, w- I want to bring you back, of course. We're going to play a quick groove just for a second. Um, this, this gentleman is from Minneapolis, actually, new music. And I knew right away he was from Minneapolis. Or, or if anything, channeling Minneapolis because it sounds like you know who. This is this is Asta Black, Asta Black, dudes. Give you about two minutes. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Thank you. 
I knew right away, oh, okay, this guy studied at Prince University, <laughs> and lo and behold, it looks like uh, he is from Minneapolis, so shout out to him. Folks, uh, we're back with a special Easter edition of The Grindhouse. Um, we have our friend from podcastjuice.net, and of course, the Red Shirts podcast. The call-in number is 646-915-9620. Of course, the, the Almighty Q-Storm sitting in for, for a few. Uh, shorter show begrudgingly I did a shorter show because I didn't think we have enough topics, but, you know, we always, we always can speak on a lot of stuff. Anyway, uh, the captain reminded me, we spoke about this behind the scenes. I didn't really advertise it, but um, maybe because I wanted to forget based on the trailer, Superfly returns. I guess his grandson, <laughs> I'm going to say that, uh, who was the actor? Ron O'Neill played Superfly. So his son, I'm saying this, you know, I have no idea. But it, it looks stupid and goofy, and he's wearing some Prince-esque hairstyle that Prince could get away with, and even he stopped doing that. So it, it, it's uh, – Captain, you know, I want you to take the lead because I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. All right, here you go. This, this is – you know, first of all, I, I found it totally offensive, you understand, <laughs> when I saw the trailer. Uh, totally offensive. I was offended. Now, I said, okay. I said, let, let me think on this for a total of three minutes. <laughs> I said to myself, I said, if I was going to do this movie now, first I need a budget of $65 million. That's the first thing I would need for production. Not a lot of money, but probably more than they would want to give me. This is Now, watch the way I'm going to go do it. And it's also a conservative way to go do it. This is me now. Since we're in a superhero trend, you understand? And it's not just happened this year. It's even more prevalent this year because of Black Panther. But you knew that three years ago. So when you're trying to, you know, tighten up the deal and everything else, you know which way we were going three years ago. So here's what I'm going to do. The ambitious route. Now, I'm going to make Superfly into a superhero. Now, what makes him so fly? First of all, he's not going to dress like no regular gangster. I'm going to make him about six foot three. He needs to be about that tall, decent-sized shoulders, the actor, <clears throat> well-dressed, classy type of suits, right? And he's dressing better than everybody else, and you realize it when he comes in. People know expensive suits when they see him, you know? So he comes in. That's the first thing. Now, this is what we find out with him. He knows this. He is somewhat of a, he has, you know, Pre-the-natural type skills. Now, let's explain. Just throwing this out here. Let's say super strength, 10 times normal. He is three times faster, five times smarter. So that means anywhere, it could be anywhere from 1,000 IQ to 500 IQ. Because they say the human is between 100 to 200. Either way, that's crazy. 
and he heals up, let's say, 30 times faster. That's not the catch there. Because of his high intellect, he does regular, let's say, backyard science work, like how some people do. do. He also works down in, let's say, Wall Street. That's his day-to-day. He finds out that there's a particular gene within all black people that if turned on, it's turned on within him, they get these capabilities. All right? Now, listen. They get his capabilities or even beyond. Simple concept. Then the powers that be find out about that, find out about his research, and make an attempt to try and stop him because they're worrying about black people, simple concept, trying to take over. Now, now he has to figure out how to fight against the powers that be. He's not fighting against the street thug. The powers that be, powers that be is big. That could be military. That could be the bankers. That could be, you know, Donald Trump. That could be anything. We can work all that out in the writing. But now you see why it's an attempt to work because that's just looking at black people and the liberal people. They always like this, this uh, dynamic with you going against the man, you see, black people, and winning against the man. So you write it so that they do actually do win. And then you can go further with that later on if the movie's successful. You could do trophy stuff. You could say, okay, now we t- we're taking over here. We can go into other timelines. We can go against Nazis. You can go against aliens. Black people have become superior beings. They've always been superior beings. That's the ambitious route. And that's something that people probably would want to see if it's done well. Also, I would need like two top-tier black actors. You understand? Like a Terrence Howard, Idris Elba, in order to sell it. Or Denzel, someone along those lines. The rest of the people could actually be fillers, good-looking people. They know how to act and all that stuff. You understand? Actually, Superfly just has to be a person that's really good-looking, all right, and well-dressed with a little bit of muscles on them, and that could carry this off. Now, that's the ambitious route, you know, because we're in that type of trend. Now, the not-so-ambitious route, the simple route, you use today's technology, you do pretty much the same movie over, and everyone knows what you're doing. You're paying homage to that time in the 70s with the Superfly situation. That's it. That's the way I go with it. Not with this, where we're going to go 2018. We're down in Atlanta, and, you know, you, you got track music. You got Rick Ross walking around with his furs and everything. I don't want stupid, man. We got empire. We got power. They're doing all of that business over. I don't want to do that. Let's go try to play a little game here since we're in this trend. And do it like that. That was me looking at it at a glance like three minutes. I said, this is what I would do. I'll go ahead and play around with it. You understand? And I'd probably get more people in the seat than they would with that. Back over to you, Afro Nerd. All right. A, a few things. Um, first, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> uh, okay. We're always going to agree. Um, all right. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily – I wouldn't. if anything, I wouldn't call it Superfly, or maybe I would reference it in some way. But if you're going to do a Superfly remake, it needs to honor the original in some way. Uh, either it has to be updated or you do, like you said, you do a period. You know, you just kind of just do it over. Like Roots, the way Roots was brought was done over again, you could do Superfly over again, and you do it as a, as a period piece. Um, but, you know, listen, we, we're seeing some, some 70s references already. Uh, the Deuce with black thought in there, Tariq, Tariq Trotter. That's essentially, I mean, that's essentially channeling Superfly. 
Um, now, what you're talking about, Captain, to be fair, is already in the works. And we know this gentleman, we know this gentleman in passing because he's been on our show, and he's Kwanzaa Ojeyefo. Ojeyefo, pardon me. We, we saw him recently at the, the Black Schomburg Festival, comic book festival. Uh, black, his comic book has been optioned. So black people with superhero, superhero powers, discovering it, government conspiracy, that's his comic. His, his comic is being translated even as we speak. So, that, so that's actually happening. I just think that if you're going to do some kind of redux on a black exploitation tip, and I think we might be entering in that space now, maybe we are, uh, it is, these things just have to be smoothed over and updated. I have nothing against revisiting Superfly. But this kind of, to me, it's, it, to me, it's like a love letter to Nick Nagari, night 2018. Like you said, Rick Ross, you know, you guys, you know, it's, it's, it's almost, this is our way, this is already player one. Everyone is looking at people we kind of know. We're going to see Cardi B flossing and, you know, the Nick Nagari, hey, look at Cardi B. You know, so th- we, listen, we may be wrong about this whole thing because this, I, it's not for us. I think that empire and power actually translates, not for me, but translates this kind of stuff better than, than trying to just literally do kind of a, a direct translation of, of Superfly. Superfly, I just think, like you said, you need to do a Superfly. What would Superfly be? What does Superfly look like in 2018? I wouldn't necessarily give him superpowers if you're, gonna, if you're going to call it Superfly. That's just my opinion. Not that... You know, not that what you're saying is wrong. I'm, it's just my interpretation is that what we see, what we want to see as black exploitation in 2018, it literally has to be neo black exploitation. And, and when when uh, when we saw Luke Cage, they started bringing out that term. That Luke Cage came out, gave you that black exploitation feel, but didn't didn't make you feel embarrassed. Like I'm not really embarrassed by black exploitation because now we can look at it as kind of charming and goofy and silly, but there were issues of black black exploitation that were that were and are problematic, almost in the same vein, almost in the same vein we think of with today's um, hip hop music. The only difference is we can see that black exploitation in the 70s was cartoonish. Uh, no one was really dying from the black exploitation movement. This movement of of current corporate hip hop, people actually are affected by it in real in the real time. That's where I have issues with how uh, hip hop, corporate hip hop, is interpreted by people. We can look at black exploitation as okay, it opened up doors. You saw black people find black women. You saw uh, empowered black men. You can get a lot. You can glom a lot out of black exploitation that I can't necessarily glom out of for current corporate hip hop. That's where that's what, how I see it. Q, what what are your thoughts about this uh, this upcoming film, 2018 Superfly? <clears throat> I, I saw the trailer. I don't remember much about it, but I do recall the impression it left on me was this looks like Belly too. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> Directed by a guy. I mean, no disrespect, but the guy director, from, the director X. from the visionary mind of director X. Yeah. Oh no, from the visionary mind of music video director director X. Red flag one. <laughs> 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 it, 
Yeah, it, it looks like a cross between the trailer reminded me of a cross between Belly and Graffiti Bridge. So I'm good. Yeah, it's, it's I think even Belly people can kind of look back at. I mean, some people reference Belly Belly more fondly. I mean, I remember looking at Belly. I, I you know, you know, had some Queens cats in there. I have to be, I have to be respectful. The hip hop was was not quite where it is today. It was kind of going in over going in that edge. Now it's over the edge. It was approaching the edge when Belly came out. Now it's over the edge. So I, I but, didn't really have. Uh, I listen. I think well, Belly is a better film. You know what happened with Hype Williams? You know what happened with Hype Williams? He thought it was going to be easy. Yeah. He realized. He realized <laughs> music videos are easy as far as getting the money in respect to doing a movie. So I will work, and, and I, you might not hit with it. <laughs> and that's what I thought. I just thought it was shot. The film was shot with a with a the whole film was shot with a stylized music bold, video I feel. I didn't feel any. None of it felt real to me. And that's what this feels like. I think that's All what made flash. it appealing, though. Visual for that time. flash and no substance. Well, listen. I think back then, first of all, Hype Williams was was well known as a, as a hip hop um, director. He was at that time. He was he was filming all of that hip hop stuff. So when he decided to break out into a film, I think a lot of credos and a lot of you know um, he was given a lot of leeway because of all that credit he he had he had been given as the hip hop hip hop directing dude. But I remember when you know Belly Captain, you could speak about this. Well, I guess all of us, but I don't remember Belly being received negatively for some reason. No one else was doing that. You know, that was like well, a, it wasn't I, I, received. I remember being no, received it negatively. It, it it wasn't received negatively negatively. It wasn't, but it didn't take you know, Hype Williams' uh, videos took. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> you saw a Hype Williams' video, you was running out the street going, oh, man, you see them boats, you see that? It didn't take. Yeah, it and that's take. because, that you're, you're absolutely right, Captain. That's because I can watch that for three to five minutes. I can watch all those surreal images. Not surreal, but stylized, flashy images yes. for three to five minutes. But don't I can't watch it for two hours. I mean, yeah. come on. Yep. Well, that's what happened. And also, and this is it's kind of funny we're even talking about Belly because um, um, DMX has been sentenced, I think, for a year. I, I believe he dodged a five-year sentencing on tax evasion. But we know famously he has a lot of problems. And I thought I believe that was brought out during his trial. So he was lucky to get um, you know the tax evasion treatment for just a year. Um, because of how he was raised, I mean, they brought, they went, in, they they brought, they really, you know, they went full tilt for this guy. But uh, in '98, when Billy Billy came out, shoot, it's amazing that it's been 20 years that uh, he, you know, um, DMS was was kind of, um, you know, he's doing movies with Steven Seagal and and uh, um, uh, who's the, the the martial artist, uh, very well known, he worked with also Jet Li, Jet Li and Aaliyah. He was going in a certain. I think he was getting like ten million a picture. DMX. DMX was gonna was that dude, and then all of a sudden, you know, he just couldn't. You know, he just went the went the crap. So, <laughs> so it, it it's unfortunate. But I, I thought was, Belly was, a, was, was a, a trajectory. Repeat that again. I was saying he he could have been ludicrous in the Fast and Furious if he had yeah. Kept, oh yeah, kept definitely. That's true. 
he couldn't fight fight off those demons. So anyway, I, I'm not going to check out Superfly uh, the reboot. I, I will re- remember the Ron O'Neill version more fondly. But and even and listen, hey, to be honest, Superfly was critiqued. You know, it, it, Superfly at the time was critiqued the way hip hop is critiqued today. You know, some of the pimp imagery and the drug dealing. You know, that set the that set the the tone. Some may say the standard. And now we are revisiting that again in 2018 with trap music. And trap music, it, trap music is drug music. I mean, literally, it is the trap of drug dealing. So it's just not for me. The hairstyle alone keeps me away. ATL. So no. And I, you know, hey, I, w- I like the idea, the idea of the ATL. But as of late, there's things going on down there. It's just not, not for my sensibilities. A lot of stuff that's just it's unfortunate. Um, let's move along. You know, there's, there's something that um, the captain brought to my attention that's really connected to uh, Ready Player One. He brought out this article. Um, I think I might have put it in the chat room. But the article is about how, as folks get older, how they gravitate toward the music that they love um, as teenagers, and how they kind of stay there. So, like some people stay there, but what it does to us, I guess, on a neural level, when we listen to music, as we get older, we some some of us stay in whether it's the '80s or early '90s or early aughts. Those are the, that's the music that we like, and it gives us a certain feeling, and we stay there. The teens specifically. You brought this to my attention, Captain. What are your thoughts about the slate? Let me be more specific. A slate piece that goes into music of our youth, of teens specifically, that we stay there, and it does something to our brains. What are your thoughts about that? Well, Especially read, because of Ready let, Player let, One. Let's, let's read from the article, excerpt from the article. Let's see where a paragraph. Let's see. Music lights these sparks of neural activity in everybody. But in young people, the spark turns into fireworks show. Between the ages of 12 and 22, our brains undergo rapid neurological development, and the music we love during that decade seems to get wired into our lobes for good. <clears throat> when we make neural connections to a song, we also create a strong memory trace that becomes laden with heightened emotion, thanks partly to our short-fit pubertal growth hormones. These hormones tell our brains that everything is incredibly important, especially the songs that form the soundtrack to our teenage dreams and embarrassment. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's in the chemicals in the brain, man. It's neurological. It kind of makes sense to a strong extent. I'm not saying this is totally, but it's probably 80% of this. What I called it, you know, explanation to the old man in the room syndrome, you know? <clears throat> and every generation does this. If you notice, every generation, every 20 to 25 years, oh, that music is not this, is not music, is not that, or there's the explanation. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it not? You know? And if you look a lot of times, the music that you like now, presently, that's different from when you were like 18, 16, and everything, it has certain vibes, tones, spirits that is like that music, you know, to a certain extent. Not too often something comes out of blue and you go, oh, man, 
no, I can't really get with that. Meanwhile, everyone else thinks it's crazy. All the young people think this is the hottest thing. You're like, oh, no, it needs to sound more like this, you know? When something comes out that's more like that from your from that time period, you vibe to it. You definitely do vibe to it, you know? So there's something going on with that there, something that we all have to look at. I'm not going to say every time because that's not true every time, but a lot of times. Not every time, a lot of times. That's what we vibe to. You know, and our parents do the same thing. You know? So, that's all. Back on to you, Afrinard. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with the article, but I think there's also, I mean, everybody has their own story as to how they arrived to, arrive to music. And I think um, there, there are a lot of influences as to why you like what you like. That plays a role in it as well. Like, what were your parents playing? Because there are, in my, just how I feel, some of what made hip-hop interesting in its early development was that, if we're going to be honest, hip-hop was heavily reliant on our parents' music. So hold on, Afrinard. You're proving the article again. You're proving what the article is talking again by saying that. Let me finish my point. What I'm saying is that... there's, there's always been this, as you just said, if I'm reading what you told me, what you just read, some of what's happening is that, that generationally there's going to be a disconnect, that you don't like your parents' music or your parents don't understand, you know, you don't understand your parents' music, your parents don't understand your music. What made hip-hop distinct is that the music literally came from your parents, that when EPMD in the late 80s and Big Daddy Kane and and uh, uh, Dr. Dre, I mean, I could go through a whole list of these artists. Almost the entirety of, the, of 80s and early 90s classic hip-hop until it became too expensive to sample. <laughs> That's what really happened because we, we might be sampling to this day. But all those artists referencing 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old records. Now, that should not be. So that's why even when I was even, – even as I think back, you you really can't hate on your elders because you shouldn't be using a James Brown record then. They were using James Brown. They were using JB samples, it, their parents' music. Um, Dr. Dre, his entire sound catalog was uh, George Clinton. Hold on, though. I mean, go ahead. According to the article, that should be true because you were introduced to that young. You see. <laughs> so if you were listening to it in the household, it makes sense according to the article. You see what I'm saying? Now the the the, the opposite side of that is when you see younger people now these days, especially now these days, they don't listen to their parents' music. They're developing their music now. We listen to our parents' music, so it makes sense. So that was what was engraved in our heads. Hence why you like jazz. See what I'm saying? That's according to the article. Hmm. Makes sense? So, so this generation is distinct from previous generations then? If, if going That's by what, what you're saying. Like. Yeah. If they're not going, based on the article, we gonna, if we're going to base everything on the article, and we, we can't do that. <laughs> we know that. But based on the article, if you're introduced to that type of music when you're young, along with everything else that you were introduced into, you were introduced to, it gets stuck in your head, you know? Now, you bring a young person, 
and they're not introduced to that type of music. It won't get stuck in their head. What gets stuck in their head is whatever they were introduced to. That's essentially what the article is saying. If it's true. We always got to put that there, you know? If it's true. Well, I got to say this. I think, unfortunately, with black folks, and I hate to be distinct with our own people, but with our own people, we're on a different trajectory, and it's a, it's a devastating trajectory. It yeah, just we is. <laughs> well, it is. I think, you know, when I see um, – matter of fact, I, I, I was looking at new music, and that's why, again, I'm always looking for new music. I mean, part of it is because of what we're doing um, here at AfroNerd, so I, I'm kind of forced – to, to stick to the brand of urban alternative music. So I have to listen to new music, at least new urban alt music. But I, I saw once again, I can't recollect the artist right now, but I'm pretty sure I downloaded the song. And it's a cat that is from the UK, white, white young cat, and he's doing basically a, basically a quiet storm move. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this guy is doing... Now, he's not, he doesn't have Teddy Pendergrass vocals. Let's not get it twisted. He's not Teddy Pendergrass. But he is doing slow, uh, romantic music. And I'm like, where, where, what is the equivalent for current corporate black music? We don't have that. So we're just kind of so, – so for, so for the senseis of the world, not to go back into that, that tired argument, but for her to be so angry about – our circumstances, as far as black people and current black music, it, it, it's it's the folly. And you know, hey, I have to, I begrudgingly admit that that latest cut that um, uh, Bruno Mars is doing with Cardi B, it sounds like Guy. It sounds like Teddy like Riley. It. I I, I, I have like to like, like it. it. I have to like, I like it. it because the, the, the grooves of the eighties. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's 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 uh. That's what was going on. That what was hot, but the the, yes. the young nignogs aren't supposed to like that music. But they they because now so what makes it weird for me is that some of this stuff is just so it's like a, a societal experiment. That if you I agree. repackage I agree. if you repackage guy with the same song and everything in a different body, all of a sudden they like it. So it's high school all over again. <laughs> It's, 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 it's being intellectually dishonest, and also, and again, you don't. These new nignogs, the the, the uh, sensei people, woman, who her name alone is cultural appropriation, but we got to forget that. <laughs> she uh, she doesn't like that Bruno was doing a a '90s redux, but. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing stopping any of the current guys and gals to do that. They're just not doing it. And I'm seeing this young, young white British person doing a quiet storm move. So I mean, what's going on? That's why some of this article Let's chill. is problematic. <laughs> That's God. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What was you, that? 1990. Let, mm. Who's that? Who's that cat? That's out there. That the 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 uh, the um artist that's very popular from England, um, uh, gay gentleman. Um, I can't think of his name now. He Actually, um, Tyrese had an issue with him because Tyrese had a, had a song a couple of years ago that was very popular, and he, he referenced him, saying that, you know, my song is of that same nature, and yet they'll categorize me but won't categorize the white guy, the white British dude. 
I can't think of his name. Oh, Sam, uh, Sam Smith. Sam, Sam, Sam Smith. Smith. Yeah. Sam Smith and I like is Sam. good, though. He's good. I like Sam Smith. Yeah, yeah but listen, yeah. I like Sam Smith. I like Adele, but they'll, they are pale imitations to what we all know black people are capable of doing. Of course. And yet, and yet we're not allowed to do our own music anymore. I saw this young, this young uh, thin white British person doing a quiet storm stuff. I see him, and, and, and if anything, we see, we see uh, Chris Brown with Little Dicky uh, trading a nigga bar. You know, I, I, I can say nigga on wax, Freaky Friday. <laughs> Whose fault is that? That's crazy. What's crazy what it is? <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's little, singing, can I, can, I say, can I say nigga in this new black body? And, he's, and he sings melodically, <laughs> I can say nigga. I mean that's black music in 2018, and oh, Saren Sensei is going to tell you something else. See, the, the Nignogs are intellectually dishonest. Q, what what is this little what Dicky? Is that what you say? Little Dicky is nice though. I ain't gonna lie, but he again, no one's no no one's classifying him as a cultural appropriator either. Little Dicky is a. Is a, is a lyrical beast, a man of Jewish descent, kind of a he looks he looks like a frazzled, fra, uh, kind of a disheveled um, hipster. Wears shorts and looks you know he looks like he has no money but probably has all the money, and uh, he he raps on the level of Eminem, maybe better. You're not supposed to say that. But no one's calling him a cultural appropriator. And he has a song with Chris Brown called Freaky Friday that's just like the movie, where these guys switch bodies. And he says, I can say nigga now? Is that what he says? Yes. It's still Chris Brown. It's Chris Brown singing. Check that song. But be, but, huh? Check that song, the one he did years ago with um, Snoop Doggy Dog. That was pretty good, too. <laughs> oh, you're talking about Little Dick? The animated movie. Yep. The animated. Yeah, it was good. Yep. Little Dicky. Yep. Little Dicky. Well, listen. Black folks are, are are doing mumble rap. So the Jewish gentleman comes in, and he 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 can best you at your own game because you allowed that. I'm sending it to you now, Q Storm. <laughs> but way. how is no one complaining about that? How come? How is this sensei woman not complaining about that? I don't get it. But I I. I <laughs> Again, I, 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 I think some people um listen. First of all, they're not complaining, Q, because this stuff is becoming normalized. World star hip hop, a Chris Brown changing bodies with with Little Dicky, and you know, it's still Chris Brown, but mentally you're you're in the Freaky Friday theme. The Freaky Friday theme is. The white guy has the black body. The black guy has the white body. So when the white guy has the black body, the first thing he wants to do is be able to sing or rap nigga, which he does. It's <laughs> freaky Friday. Oh, man. It's crazy. That's deep, man. That's deep. It's deep, so it's deep, deep and I, I suspect it probably has 50 million hits right now, probably. It's going to do what it does. Wow. That's depressing, that, actually. I've got to be honest it's with de- you. It's depressing. It's depressing because I just mentioned you got Afropunk, now you got Punk Black, you got the Black Rock Coalition, 
You got uh, Revivalist Soul. You got Grime, even though Grime has its issues. You got UK Soul. You got a lot of black folks doing all kinds. You got Afrofuturism. You got all this stuff going on, and yet all that the corporates believe that black people are about is this particular strain of hip-hop. We can't do anything else. But what's, but what's happening, actually, is that white people are taking over your soul music. True that. Now, I don't have any problems with white people in the genre because they've been there, and we've been grooving to them. We, you know, we, we've been grooving to, to, to uh, Joe Cocker is a beast. The late Joe Cocker is a beast. You are so beautiful. Um, Hall and Oates. You know, there's a blue-eyed soul category. So it's not, even a, it's not even about white people in the music, but a sensei, and a sensei's supposed to be a teacher, she doesn't know a damn thing. Even her name is effed up. <laughs> they, 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 they missed the, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you have the name of sensei, and, and the people in the video shouting out to uh, the Grapevine TV, and, they're gonna, and actually the Grapevine TV is, is moving on, onward and upward in its ignorance. And the, the participants in that podcast, every time they say something that they think, emphasis on they think, that they think is profound, they say facts as an affirmative. I guess facts is the nouveau way of saying word, or word is bond. But they say facts. And when they say facts, it's not facts. <laughs> it's not facts. <laughs> this is where we are. It's it's un, it's unsettling. The thing that's crazy again is we have a blurred movement on the horizon. The the New York Times talks about Black Panther being adjacent to Revenge of the Blurred. That was a recent article. So you know there's things going on. We, we you my, myself Q all of us are in the culture, and yet the sideline culture is is the alternate black music. That doesn't seem to be able to gain any ground the way we want it, want it to, because you, you have trap music and, and, and Negroes with perms in 2018 and weird stuff going on. This is what's happening. You have uh, thieves at, at, at Howard, shout out to Bison, wearing fur coats and, and boots, flim flam artists. I, I well, I I can't help. That's my that's my that's my cross the bear cue. I got to tell the truth, you know. Um, Q, Q Storm brought some heat. Q Storm brought some heat to me, and I say this uh, laughingly because we played with each other that way. A uh, shout out to to the to the real HU, whichever whichever one that is, and uh, he he threw a shot a kit shot across the bow toward me for being a Hamptonian about Hampton having some issues with jailed bread. <laughs> you know, wait, wait, wait. Has, well, you look up Hampton. Listen, HBCUs have problems. And Hampton's pro- Hampton, I believe, is one of the wealthiest, <laughs> if not the wealthiest, black colleges. And yet, the students have issues with conditions at Hampton. So, some living conditions. So they're bringing that out. That was the news before Tyrone Hankerson was shown – with at Instagrams uh, floating in the air with with shoes, feet hanging out, open toe sandals, and, and and slip on shoes and furs and purses or purses, and stealing <laughs> half a million dollars, half a million dollars in the coffers of other Ho- Howard students 
Howard students that can no longer go to the school because this Negro wants to be – he wants to be Superfly too in 2018. One of these ambiguous Negroes. And that's a picture of the guy. It's, he's like wearing these – he doesn't have socks on. He's tight jeans, tight pants and an orange or something and flapping his jacket in the breeze or something. Yeah. 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 Explain that to me, please. What, what is that? I don't okay. get that. I'll go I, – I'll go that's after those boys. I'll, what? <laughs> no, 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 boy. no, nah, man. I don't, I don't know people. First of all, I got, I got to break up something. I got to keep it one hundred. Uh, and and Q Stone will appreciate this. I think Q Stone is begrudgingly on this same tip. I look for real hardcore Jim Brownism, and I look for it. So when I find it. I hold on to it very tight. I was initially going to ignore this SWAT reboot with, with uh, Shamar Moore. Shamar Moore is bringing that heat. Now, I don't know if he's the complexion that Q-Storm, he may be a little too light for you. Oh, allegedly. here we go. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to live it down, Q. Never. <laughs> You know, I guess I passed Buster, but our but our, our dear captain, he wasn't he wasn't he didn't realize wow. captain was. Uh, I don't think I don't think yeah. captain knew. He, I didn't think captain knew. Captain didn't even know he was light skinned I didn't know captain was light skinned until Q Storm brought it to my attention. But I, but I, I digress. Four years I digress. ago, damn. I did, I digress. Anyway, uh, I'm br- I'm bringing it all together because I'm looking at uh, you need to get on this SWAT wagon. SWAT is a reboot from the 1975 SWAT that, that many of us grew up on or saw after in syndication, that kind of thing. And uh, he stands tall. He mentors black. He shows, there's a lot, of, a lot of heavy black isms that he does, black male mentoring. He has, you know, he's steely-eyed. He's, he's uh, in shape. He's Fred Williams in 2018, Shamar Moore. Trust me on that. He is bringing the heat. He is he's confrontational with white folks. He he, he affirms his blackness. Now what, what is that his main woman is of Latin extraction. Now, for me, in my Afro nurse sensibilities, she's attractive and I would definitely soak her brown toes in cocoa butter. That's for me. That's my style. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> if that if she looks good enough to be on my arm with a French pedicure with her feet soaked in warm microwave cocoa butter. That's how I get down. I digress. Okay. So, besides that, for me, it's black it up, all that. Jamal Moore's bringing that heat. Black masculinity, SWAT, CBS, I think every Thursday or something at 10 p.m., something like that. I, I, I was binging on SWAT this weekend, I must confess. Anyway, I'm on the Jamal Moore uh, SWAT side of the game versus this gal- this gallivanting uh, uh, skipping Negro from Howard. Uh, Tyrone Tyrone Hankerson. Why he? Listen, I am not giving him the business the way Twitter gave him the business. This is light compared to what what's going on. You have to. I'm giving you a light version of the heat he's catching. Tyrone Hankerson is a third year Howard Law student. Now, on that credo alone, Q, he should be a, a board member of Afro Nerd Machine. 
on paper. Unfortunately, when you peel back the paper, he's not one of us. What he did, <laughs> what he did is this young man, thir- almost f- a few months away from graduating from Howard Law. I'll give it to Bison. Howard Law, of course, we got someone from Wakanda also at Hampton, okay, the, the, the costume designer, but I digress. Howard, Law, Howard could practically be a Wakandan embassy with the people that, came, that were in that movie. All right, I have a great love for Howard. Howard was my first choice, all right? But Tyrone Hankerson was working, in the, I believe, in the financial aid department, and uh, he was found to be pilfering upwards of $400,000 from the school, getting grants, and instead of using that money um, fairly or however he, however he at- obtained that, movie, that money, and also he wasn't, he wasn't the only one. He was the flashiest of everyone, but there was a cadre of people in that department that was, that, that was taking from the students, taking from, from a black university. This is, black, this, is, this is high crimes in Mr. Beaner's black, black versus black style. This is what we do to each other. So he's even in print from a few years ago talking about the need for uh, black financial aid and how, black, and how he, he was able to acquire grants and all this kind of thing. He was speaking in, in a way that led you to believe he was honorable. Mind you, on his Instagram account, he's in furs. He's in designer clothes. He's, he's vacationing in, in, in like Cuba or something. He, he's on a boat with his, with his feet hanging out. Man feet hanging out is not Afro Nurse Forte. <laughs> so once <laughs> – okay, it's not my thing. Fever. So, I think, I, listen, can I just say one? I just say one thing real quick. Go ahead. You know, looking at that photo, I just want to go back, and it's going to challenge your notions. We go back and forth on this. I don't look at that photo and laugh because I'm questioning the man's <laughs> masculinity. I'm not questioning the man's masculinity because of that photo. I'm just laughing because he looked like a damn fool. Okay, <laughs> that's only. I, I don't think I, that photo has anything to do with his masculinity. It's just he looks stupid as hell. Well, listen, I'm giving you a little humor on AfroNerd, right? But Black Twitter gave that guy a, a – talk about a two – he got a full 18-piece biscuit KFC meal from Black Twitter. Complete beatdown, <laughs> complete bludgeoning. This is lightweight. AfroNerd Radio Dark is coming, by the way, Q, so it's going to be a lot rougher when we, when we go. But it will, it will be a pay subscription to, hit, to listen to that. that is go, that's going to go down. But anyway, um, with, with with this young man, he stole from the school. Well, this is going to be this is going to be a uh, a Wednesday discussion. We'll probably go into it a little deeper. But I, I felt a great deal of shame. I think a lot of black folks that look at Howard a certain way and what they did to the school. And I and I went to I went to Howard for a few days for a political science convention. And I and you know, listen, I have great love for Howard University, but to hear this kind of thing. It's, it's, it's disgusting. And, and you also heard from black students that could no longer go to the school because this guy took their money, allegedly. So it's a problem. And, and it goes more into where our young people are today, where he was more concern, concerned about being flashy and being seen and being kind of like puffy. You know, that, that, his name comes up a bit too. He, he had a, he, they showed him going into a late model Range Rover. I mean, all this absurdity. 
You know, it's just, it was just, it's horrible. It's a horrible situation. So I, I'm making fun of it, but the seriousness of it is that I hate to see that you have black folks on, on a high scale. And again, you cannot pull this kind of stuff during this administration because we don't know what the, what, Trump was already throwing jabs about the whole notion of a of a black of black uh, of HBCUs. He throws he throws. This is a supremacist in charge. You don't do this nignog nonsense while this is going on. But he did. This is what some of us are he, about. He also shouldn't pretend to be a doctor at seventeen <laughs> and scam people out of money. But that's well, I mean, what's that story? That other guy. Dr. Love, I think his name is, something like that. I think his name is something Love. Like or, it's it's, it's ridiculous. Know. If you see his photo and you go to his clinic and give him money, you're a damn fool. That's all I got to say. We'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll, there's a lot more topics to get into for Wednesday's show, but that's a taste. I probably spent my gas on this just today. Just that, But that's what happened. I, I would like to hear Bison, but Bison's been quiet for, uh, since it went down. It's the weekend, you know? You got, you know, right. He's doing his thing with the family. Listen, when he showed a picture, he showed a picture, he showed a picture, a picture of spoiled bread from the Hamptonians. He wasn't wow. He wasn't so quiet then. But we see, we see, we see, cat, we see Captain Ambiguous floating in the sky with with uh, with, with open <laughs> Captain Ambiguous with slippers on in in Italy somewhere. Come on, man. With with uh, Gucci with a Gucci Merce, stop it! Come on. With his short cut time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Once I see a Negro's toes, it's over. I'm like, okay, stop it. <laughs> this is this is not someone I'm taking seriously at all. Bye. That's it. Bye, Tyrone. That's it. I was going to say bye, or bye Felicia in his case. Either one works. Oh, anyway. God. Oh, man. Here we go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a master of this. I'm a master. See, your, your boy wants to test me. I'm not going to say who he is, Q. Your boy wants to test me. You don't want, you don't want nothing. I know you're talking about. I, 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 know I can go all day long like this. I, I, I have a skill. I'm a mutant when it comes down to the put down. So you don't want to mess with this. I get great oh, joy. It's, it's orgasmic to regulate Negroes. Trust me. I could do this oh. all day. Anyway, that's another show. Habitual line okay. steppers. That might be that might be a name we might go with anyway. Uh <laughs> Captain. <laughs> all I, got, right. I, I got nothing to add to this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mike is not here to defend himself. No, he he can, he can, <laughs> listen, Negroes floating above the skies in in <laughs> <pump shopping. laughs> Come on. Stop it, man. Prince was allowed to do that. Prince did that effortlessly, and he got he has my I co-sign on Prince doing that. Only Negro who could do that and do it as a master. This guy not in that not in that same bailiwick. No sir, hell no, hell no. Anyway, all right, let's 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 go forward. Um, you know, <laughs> we were talking about Afrofuturism, right? We've been talking about this quite a bit. This is what's in the air now. And, and you and Q were talking about we're, we were critiquing Ready, Ready Player One and the lack of black involvement or black pop culture involvement. But we must be honest. 
there are a lot of things going on coming down the pipeline. Um, children, children of blood and bone. Uh, Adeyemi, if I'm pronouncing it, probably I'm probably screwing up the Nigerian surname. Tommy Adeyemi is the author of this young adult book, which I have yet to pick up, but I will pick it up. But Children of Blood and Bone is a is an African or Afrofuturist book, young adult book that is being that's garnered like one of the highest. Um, uh, what you call it? Um, <clears throat> what am I thinking of? You know, one of the one of the highest purses or whatever you want to call it when it comes to uh, um, books. They uh, advances, pardon me, it, like a very large advance. And then there's also a a film treatment or that or option that's connected to it. So, which but the, the the issue though is African. So are, are, once again, are the are the Africans getting on board and getting their shine above the African American when it comes down to these translations and this Afro? I mean, it doesn't matter to me. It, for me, it doesn't matter. But I'm just curious. What do you think about that? That this Children of Blood and Bone, which I would advise the listenership to pick up, that this is an, a Nigerian American author who got this this big this big advance, and and it's an Afrofuture tale, young adult book. It's happening. I'm interested to learn more. I'm interested to learn more about it. I mean, so it's you, going down. I, I get a sense that you. I get a sense that you are hinting at there's a, and you may be right. There's a conspiracy to keep African American stories. You know, what's that catch and kill? <laughs> Do the catch and kill on the African American stories and. For the African story, so that I don't know if that's where you're going with that. Maybe that's something that needs to be well, explored. Well, look, you have the Dahomey Amazon story is coming. I don't know if there's two or one, because the one that I was familiar with that you heard about right away was Viola Davis and Lapita Nyongo, that they're going to be in this thing as mother and daughter. So that I find, just the premise of that, I find. Exemplary, but then at the same time, I'm hearing something else about some series coming out, and that there's an actual thirst. Like they're 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 looking heavily into translating translating African tales into the big screen. Now that bypasses the African American experience, does it or does it not? That the Afrofuturism well, that you're looking for is not, you're not necessarily getting a black black American. Interpretation. Well, see, I think with African American stories, this is just my take. I could be completely off base, but any any stories that we tell are going to be within the framework or within the boundary of our experience in this country. Whereas that. African, <clears throat> the African tale, me as an African American, I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn something from that. I, I I can't wait to see that to learn something. You know what I'm saying? So. It's it's more, it's it's a wide open expanse as far as I'm concerned. Whereas we you know we can't look at Black Lightning. We can't get beyond. Maybe we shouldn't, but we can't get beyond telling tales that that are I'm not going to say mired, but based in our tragedy here in this country. The Eurocentric point of view. <laughs> no, I mean you know. Uh, 
most of our stories have to do with all the things that that I've talked about all the time. You know, we're fighting people in the hood, or we're fighting the man, or we're fighting drug dealers, or this or that. And we, when you talk about actual Afrofuturism, and it has to do with in the story coming from this Nigerian gentleman, that's a wide open expanse, as far as I'm concerned. All right, what do you what do you what do you want you what do you want the black guys to fight? What do you want them to fight, Q? It depends on who they're supposed to fight. It depends on who the black guy is. <laughs> okay, he's a superpowered. He's a superpowered hero. Who are you supposed to fight? I, I think you know where I stand on that. <laughs> I want him to fight another superpowered person that can match him. That could, that is his equal. You know, okay. leave 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 the uh, stuff to uh, leave the stuff in the hood to our uh, our black leaders and uh, our. Uncorrupted policemen and our politicians. I want, I want a fantasy. If I'm going to have a fantasy black character, I want him engaging in a world that has fantasy in it. All right, I see what you're saying. I remember, I remember years ago. Actually, you can still see it with uh, it's the Thor cartoon. You know, what was that? The '60s, I believe. Like those cartoons were from when he, when they said Asgard. Yeah. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Thor yeah. was flying. Thor was flying across <laughs> the sky once, uh, and he passed through know, like a local neighborhood, and he saw some ruckus going on down there. And you know what he says? This is beneath. <laughs> this is beneath the son of Odin. This is no, the job no. of the local police. No, that's that's white. That's white man's hubris. Not one of the two people, oh, Tyrone. Oh. Popped up on PCP. Let's give you one hundred. Thor's nice, but he don't want he don't he, he don't want Lakeisha to give him a two piece. That's what he really was trying to tell you. No. <laughs> it was a bunch of white people, man. It wasn't black people, man. They were they were black they were they were black by proxy. They were black by proxy. I'm just the son of Otis, man. He ain't gonna fight with none of them, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Retired, retired officer nemesis would tell me many stories of hopped up Negroes on PCP that had super strength. So we <laughs> do have mutants go, in real time. We have mutants. Lakeisha oh, and Shaquan have super strength when hopped up on bad weed. Wula mixed in with PCP <laughs> is a is a mother. Damn. I'm just saying. <laughs> there we go. Man. So thought wow. so thought they wanted any part of that. <laughs> no, nah, you don't want none of that. <laughs> I guess he, I guess Thor said Heimdall's one of the good Heimdall's a credit to his race, huh? The new Heimdall. <laughs> yeah. It's for me. Heimdall has a Heimdall <laughs> has a solution like Michael Jackson. <laughs> Damn, he's a man. Pretend, Come on. pretender Negro. Anyway, uh, let me let me go more into let me let me get some more more information on this uh, Children of Blood and Bone. Again, as I mentioned, and I might be screwing up the the uh, the, the young woman's name. Uh, her, the name of the the the, the uh, author Ta- Tommy Adiemi from Nigeria, Nigerian American. It says uh, it, now again, she landed. I'm reading it directly from Afropunk. Uh, huge shout out to author Tommy Adiemi, the Nigerian American author who critic, whose critically acclaimed debut young adult novel Children of Blood and Bone has landed the writer a seven figure book and movie deal with Fox 2000. Described as a Black Lives Matter-inspired fantasy novel, 
Children of Blood and Bone is a melding of contemporary issues and West African mythology. Set in the fictionalized Orisha, the novel follows Zeli Edobola, a younger girl who sells fish with her father and a diviner with magic powers that transform her into a Maji. When the king of Orisha orders for all who possess black magic to be killed, and with the help of the princess who was in possession of one of the last Magi scrolls, Azeli endeavors to bring back the magic. All right. You know, listen, I'm all in. I'm, go- I'm, I'm going to get the book first. I'm all in on that. What is that. What is this book now? It's called Children of Blood and Bone. Tommy spelled T-O-M-I. So I'm assuming it's a young lady. T-O-M-I, Adiyeme. They had shades of, like, Dungeons and Dragons or something. I, I like that. Well, you know what? Yeah, well, we need that. We need that. Instead of, you know, the typical uh, hiding behind the bushes and Shamar Moore or, or you know, what, I, I love Shamar <laughs> and this new one, but he would have been picked up for that, too. You know, Shamar Moore <laughs> or, or, or one of these guys. <laughs> Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard hiding in the bushes. <laughs> You know, that kind of stuff with a knife and some ex-boyfriend, some craziness. I wish I had, I wish I had, um, uh, I don't, I don't know if I can even find it. You know, I had that clip where he, in real life, threatened somebody for messing around with his woman. You know, I can't find it. It's, it's a real thing, though, where, where, uh, Terrence Howard left a voicemail to someone threatening him. Oh, yeah. He said, you better leave, mm-hmm. you better, he's a tough guy. I wouldn't mess with him. He said, he said I, I said, I, you know, if I were you, something like leave my woman alone or I'm going to have to kill you. But he said it in, a, in, in the Terrence Howard voice. It sounded crazy. Oh. That would scare the ish out of me if I heard that on my phone. <laughs> With that half crying voice? Yeah, that would scare me. Yeah, he's a good damn master. I, I would like to see Terrence Howard in a lot of things. You know, uh, he's, he's in, um, he is in one sci-fi thing. The uh, Philip K. Dick Electric Dreams. He's in one episode that was pretty good, actually. So he's making the rounds. But again, I would have liked to have seen him as Rhodey. I was already comfortable with him as Rhodey because of what he brings to the game. But, you know, we all know that story. So anyway, we got about eight minutes remaining. Let's try to make the best of it. Um, I do want to mention one quick thing. Well, actually, I did mention the, 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 the SWAT thing. I've already spoken about SWAT. I, I would just tell people, check out Shamar Moore on SWAT. First season, I think it's already gotten a, gotten a uh, renewal for a second season, I believe. So not as if that guy needs any more money. He had like a decade or more run, at least a decade on Criminal, criminal Minds, something like that. So uh, CBS can't stop giving him money, which is cool for me. I, I love seeing you know brothers getting their money. So you know, and plus this new imagery, this imagery is a good one. Anyway, um, let's go to let's go to Infinity War. I, luck, luckily. I haven't seen a whole lot of trailers for Infinity War. I, I get the gist of what's happening, but it, it's not really telling me anything. So I, I, I think it's one of the few superhero movies where I can go in really fresh with not having seen a lot of what's going on. But I, I had a theory about what could happen later on with all these phases. That, you know, they're, they're, they're anointing Kevin Feige as know really uh, a master of this universe knowing what to do knowing how to pull back knowing how to go forward and everything i heard that john boyega 
was interviewed by Marvel, so there's hints of a Blade Runner thing, Blade Runner, of a Blade thing going on. But uh, he did say he didn't exactly say it was Blade, but at the same time he said, "I'm not going to diss Wesley Snipes." So even he would want to see Wesley Snipes return to the role. So he said, if Wesley Snipes gave the okay, he would move forward on that. He, that's kind of what he's saying. So he's somewhat double-talking about having, having been spoken to by Marvel. Anyway, uh, I was thinking that we're being told that someone, someone or some, some ones may end up dying. Infinity War. And it kind of has to happen in order for it to kind of move forward. You know, instead of, you know, there's got to be a loss. But uh, if there was to be a reboot, like, I don't know how long they're going to be able to stay in this universe and for us not to see Iron Man rebooted again. I'm thinking that since, for all intents and purposes, this. MCU really references the ultimate universe. Who's to say that that we might not see a more conventional Marvel movie that it, it would just simply be another universe that they might they might just say, "Hey, Marvel is composed of a multiverse." And we say, "Well, it, we'll just go to 616 for the people, you know, who know about Marvel mythology. 616 is the standard Marvel Comics universe." I'm I'm thinking that might, might be where we go in the future of Marvel. What are your thoughts about that, Captain? Do you think that's a possibility? What do I always say? Earth 616, James Jasper. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's very strong. It's a very strong possibility. I was told by insiders who die and who don't die. But well, I'm going to leave that to myself in, the, in respect to this. But more importantly, you watch the second installment of Infinity War. And you get to see also who comes back. That's all. I won't say any more about that. <clears throat> if what they told me was true. So, I like that 616 thing, though. I, I just like thought that. about it. I like that. Q, Q yeah. what, are your expect, what are your thoughts and expectations based on the Infinity War trailers? You know, the Black, you, know you and I spoke about this before, that I told you that Black Panther is going to probably be the front man at some point, And we're seeing that. So, but even beyond that. What do you think? What do you think is in store for the Infinity War and even beyond that with Marvel movies going forward? I can tell you, I I have absolutely no idea. I really don't. When you mentioned that they could go to Earth six one six, I'm thinking, well, isn't it still an issue about who lives and dies? It's, unless, I mean, I, you you said that as though that gives us a clue as to who might live or die, and I'm I'm thinking, well, how is that possible? Because Iron Man is alive in six one six, isn't he? And so, so all these Captain Americas are still alive. So, I, I'm really I, I'm not qualified. It's above my pay grade at this point. I'm curious why you mentioned the six month six like that was a re- revelation. Why, why? How would that shape the outcome? Well, the reason why I said that is because I, I'm I'm always putting this putting these thoughts in my head, and I know that people are going to be very uh, in their feelings when Robert Downey Jr. steps away from that role. Um. Just like people are in their feelings about about Wesley Snipes reprising his role in Blade, people feel very connected about certain actors and the characters they play. So, in order to oh. kind of uh, assu- okay. assuage assuage that disconnect, 
if you if you put out if you put put in there that listen, this is a different Earth. This is a different Iron Man. This I is a different you. story. That's you. that's a way to reboot. That's a way to have Iron Man without having RDJ comfortably. Okay. Without just I, well, having know, another actor, you, you know. Yeah. Now that you've laid it out, that 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 sounds like it's a brilliant way to go. Question is, who's who can replace RDJ as Iron Man? I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Well, listen, they'll find someone who's got that charisma. They'll figure it out. But that that's like you said, it's very difficult because he was so great in that role that going forward, but I'm, I'm thinking anyone that isn't due for a due for a sequel might be on the uh his head may be on his or her head may be on the block. And we've already had you know three Iron Man films and Iron Man's been interspersed in other Marvel properties rather prolifically where it's almost you know it was practically an iron man movie in spider-man homecoming he was in there enough for you to feel that iron man was was there so uh he's all over the place he's in infinity war you know we luckily we didn't see him in uh black panther so hey hey. marvel might be playing with you because the power of infinity gems that's true too. If you read the books, people do do die. But also, you understand this: people can also come back too with those powers. So be careful. Remember, there's two movies allegedly. Just be careful. Yeah, but we're we're already getting the we're already getting the um the idea that uh the second that the sequel to Infinity War will not be like a real sequel that way. So I I, I yeah. don't know, but we're getting the impression that. You know, this isn't going to be like a Harry Potter one and two. That this is going to be, there's going to be some kind of finality to uh, Infinity War, and I think it's damn near a three-hour movie or something to that effect. So, um, if that's the case, and then we have this Captain Marvel film that's going to be set in the '90s, so we don't know what Infinity—I can't even call Infinity War—whatever the Avengers four will be, we have no idea what's going to happen there. So. And then you have all these other iterations. Doctor Strange has got to get, it's got to have a, got to have a sequel. Black Panther's got to have a sequel. I mean, there's other things that I, I have no idea what, what's going to happen beyond these phases. But I'm pretty all sure right, Marvel knows what they're going to Anyway, I the bootleg after that. I said, I look for it. I set a short show. Folks, have a, a happy Easter. Be safe. Um, we're expecting snow of all places in New York. I thought we were through with that. What? Anyway, no. yeah, snow tomorrow. This is news okay. to me. <laughs> well, you, you listen. I'm here to inform you, Q, as usual. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is Jacob Banks, Diddy Bop Wednesday. It's been real. Appreciate it. Yesterday's on
Don't need nobody to take 